Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Andrew Clark. And I'm Doug Sanner. This podcast is brought to you by the Pilot Light Campaign. In these weekly chats, we will have real and honest conversations with our inspiring friends and other amazing human beings we want you to know about. We take a unique glimpse into their lives and hear their incredible journeys from overcoming challenges to building better mindsets, habits, and routines. This is the Skull Session Podcast. Hi, this is the Skull Session Podcast with me, Andrew Clark. And me, Doug Sanham. And today's guest, uh, we're so happy to have this guy on, it's Doug McMaster from Silo Restaurant. Doug, how are you? I'm very well, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, really excited. Um, yeah, I've explained to you before we sat down that you know the, the, this podcast was always about having just you know some really interesting people doing amazing things, sure. and I yeah. think you know you, you're definitely in a, a league of your own, or you're paving the way for the rest of us. I, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know, I for me personally, I've read your book. I've been to your restaurant and know a lot about you. Anyway, you know, we've been friendly over social media and stuff, but. I think it's just one of them, you, you make me as a chef want to do better. And do you know what I mean? Like, I've yeah, even apologised about the plastic before we sat <laughs> Plastic bottles everywhere. It's just one of those things that, you know, you give people a, a, a conscience. I'm yeah. well done for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I completely agree with that. That's a, 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 a Brucey bonus. That's not something that I ever, um, ever intended I never thought to myself consciously, oh, I'm going to make other chefs think differently about what they do. That was never an intention or a goal, never part of the agenda. Um, yeah, no, it, it just started for me. It was all very sort of serendipitous. I, um, yeah, kind of found a very unique path just through uh, a, a unique series of events and some very amazing kind of mentors, um, two or three most notable mentors that... Um, stood very far apart from each other in terms of what they believe in and where they were going and I sort of um, got under the hood of all of those sort of minds and put two and two together sort of thing you know yeah. applying different perspectives and um, uh, kind of creative approaches to a certain industry and then came up with silo and it, it kind of it all just happened without really any sort of agenda um, so yeah, if I've, if, I've, if I've helped influence the way chefs think about food, then that's an amazing, amazing yeah. thing for you to say. So thank you. No, I mean, you know, it really is. I, I read your book um, and it was a very easy read, but it was just, it flowed thank so you, nicely. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 just, it was to the point. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, we've got over a few bits tonight, uh, today even. Um, I, I, you know, I'd love to hear that story from, from you as well. Yeah, uh, but I wouldn't want to stop people buying the book to... You know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to read them themselves, it's, but it's, it's very relatable as well. Like there's yeah. some of the mm. the points that you make in it, you know, the film references and stuff as well. That yeah. it, it makes it very easy for you for somebody to quickly understand what you're getting at. Thank you. Yeah, no, I tried really hard to um, uh, be honest. I think that was the big thing. Um, the thing that put me off uh, writing a book was always this sort of uh, ego that happens in a lot of cookbooks yeah. and um, I was adamant that there would be no picture of me in the book <laughs> a single one uh, it will not happen and it's not about me although it's sort of in the beginning of the book uh, the beginning of the book starts with this 
kind of chapter called Motive, and it's just like what motivated Silo to exist, which yeah. is I think it's important to understand what makes you know what makes something grow. Um, so I did put that in there, which is about things that I've witnessed in my career to motivate Silo to exist, mm. and I think that is important to to sort of see that um, that path. And uh, but yes. Um, I uh, yeah really wanted the book to be honest and to be you know to be honest it's been a, a bit of a are we allowed to swear of yeah, course it's yeah. been a bit of a shit show <laughs> 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 it's, been, <laughs> it's been some bad times and yeah. I've, I've fallen on my face a few times to get to where I've got to and it's not been easy and I think that's why people can relate to it is because. You know, it's not just I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. It's like I'm not great, I'm not great, and now I'm a bit great. You know, mm. um, yeah, yeah. I think that honesty is, is 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 really you know again relatable to people and hopefully inspires them and also gives them a kind of a you know a clear look. A lot of you know when I was young and wanted to own a restaurant, you know, you just think of the good things, yeah. don't you? And you know, um, I went into owning a restaurant thinking about the good things naively. And then um, opened a restaurant, and there was a lot of bad things. So I was like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> Why didn't no one tell yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I was like that. Where's the where's the that, like, the blueprint for opening a restaurant yeah. and all the shit that you need to expect to have? That's it. <laughs> there that's, isn't one. That, that's yeah, and, you know, yeah, like yeah, there is no guide to opening a restaurant. There's no script. There's no manual. Mm. Um, this sort of should be really. I, I think you know that Danny Meyer did something. Uh, I can't even remember what the book's called now, but um, was it, it setting the table? Setting the yeah. table. Yeah, um, that was good actually. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, there are bits and pieces, but there is, and I guess yeah, every restaurant's different, every environment's different. Mm -hmm. Things like COVID is some, something that no one would have expected to happen yeah. to restaurants mm -hmm. globally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, th I think there might be someone to write a, a, a book now, or at least like things to look out for. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How to adapt your business yeah. during a pandemic. I don't know, there's a lot of... Um, well, I hope someone does document that. I mean, in terms yeah, of like, nice what's happened. And, and, and I'm promising that we won't talk too much about COVID because sure. it's, it's, it's one of those things that we have to because it's, mm. it's so relevant. And, yeah. you know, it's also mm. nice to know how people have adapted and what they're doing. But I don't want every episode to be <laughs> another COVID thing. But I will say one thing. I love the way that businesses have turned things around yep. and adapted. And that's a yeah. sign of like, you know from the independent restaurants particularly just you know it's a family operated business or you know a personal business let's see what we can do and test the water and some come out on top because you know, yeah, hey yeah. you're providing for your neighborhoods you're making you know mm -hmm. you're not just doing the food as a, a, a restaurant you'll be able to turn it into a deli yep. you'll be able to turn mm -hmm. it into um, just something that's a bit more community-based and therefore we said it yesterday with Chantel um, you know when you start really uh, focusing your business on the community, the community give you much more support coming yeah. out of this. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We only got to five months, uh, well, as in Silo was open five months before lockdown happened. Um, <clears throat> so we were just in our like, you know, infant stages sure. and didn't really develop much of a you know return trade because it was just first-time trade. So, um, yeah. It's it's a conversation now. It's just like, yeah, if we knew this was coming, we'd have been like just community only, you know, <laughs> like local Hackney Wick community yeah. only, no one else, you know, just to sort of engage with them as much as possible. Yes, knowing that we were going into, um, yeah, Armageddon. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I it was a week before lockdown that I had yeah, my was, meal. Just yeah. came I came in, in yeah. and it was fantastic. And you know, without blowing smoke up your ass, I knew it would be. I, you know, obviously heard good things. You've been paving the way for many of many of us chefs, anyway. But um, I felt that every every dish was thoughtful, considered, tasty. I like the story, um, and it w it was like I think every dish that came out was like I really like that, and the next dish that came out, fuck, I really like that, you know. Mm. So it was just getting better yeah. and better and better. Yeah. And there was one meat dish, so again, that a, a few of the principles that I always talk about: eating less meat, but yeah. make sure it's really good. good what you do. Yeah. And um, that to me became like the perfect meal. It's like shit. Mm. This is what I talk about. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So really enjoyable to have someone mm. in the neighbourhood doing. You know, the, yeah. the, the things that I... Yeah, well, 
from the very beginning of Silo, which you'd be surprised to hear, was actually eight years ago. So yeah. Silo started in Melbourne in 2012. Yeah. Um, so we've been going, I say we, I've been going a very long time doing this. <laughs> and um, from day one, it was always, and this is, I mentioned, good mentors, had a good mentor that really, because, you know, as a 23-year-old chef, which is mm. what I was, I didn't care about sustainability. I didn't care about ethical food. I didn't yeah. care about health and well-being. I was just this 23-year-old kind of chef that was just like working in some of the world's best restaurants and, you know, had this sort of unhealthy appetite for perfection. And then I had this mentor who um, was dealing in all, the, all of the above, sustainability, um, health, well-being, um, ecological agriculture. Um, but he was doing it in a way which, if you're not interested in any of those things, didn't matter. <laughs> Because it was he was an artist and one of you know I'm I'm, I'm a big lover of, of art um, and he was an artist. Carry on, carry on. My phone. Wow, that, and then it's on silent, so I don't know what's happening. No, it's fine. We've been lucky last We're, time. We have, yeah. Let's ignore it. Go away. <laughs> um, so this guy was this. Um, I probably I would say that I've met two or three people that I would describe as a genius in, yeah. in, in the world, in my life at least. Um, and he was definitely a genius. And mm. the thing that I can always see in you know, what I would call a genius is somebody that's grown up with, that's it's like this, they're an adult, but they're still a child. Um, and this guy had like this kind of childish view of, uh, or childlike view of the world and would think anything was possible. And would make these connections between um, certain pertinent um, ideas and things happening in the world, and then put them together. And you know, in a way which you think, how did he do that? Why did he think that? I would never have thought that. And anyway, he was a an artist that turned waste materials, uh, predominantly like industrial waste materials, yeah. not just like you know milk bottle tops or whatever, but yeah. like big industrial waste. And he would then create these huge um sculptures like you know like really really sort of promethean objects that would then be um, put in really interesting kind of urban vistas you know places of like uh, iconic relevance yeah. and then would grow sort of because he was um fourth generation or fifth generation florist his family are all um, from from uh, the Netherlands, yeah. and um, yeah, it's just in his blood and his DNA sure. to, to 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 you know to farm and to grow nature, and so he would take this waste and put it in these spaces and grow kind of nature through it, and just just it was just breathtakingly beautiful, and um, that's what he did and became quite famous for, and still is famous for, um, <clears throat> and then he was commissioned by the Sydney. Um, uh, city council to create a building made of waste and then this just subject was just kind of part of you know his um, certainly those years of his life he was thinking more and more and more about what waste is and waste yeah. in general and um, and uh, basically his his vision still to this day in a sort of formative years like around 2010 um, was like you know, this idea of nature and um, industrialism um, and kind of the relationship between those two worlds. And um, this, yeah, it's it a food festival and uh, he created or erected this building made of waste materials and it was on the, um, the rocks in Sydney Harbour. So mm -hmm. uh, you've got Harbour Bridge and the Opera House and then you had this building made of waste and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. I was working at a restaurant called Key, um, yeah, yeah. Pierre Gilmore, and that was just literally next door to it, um, and uh, that was quite a contrast of you know <laughs> restaurants. And um, yeah, this guy he's called Yoast, which is yeah. hard name to pronounce because it's spelled J O O S T. Yeah, and uh, so Yoast um, built this building, and you know it was just a very organic thought process. Like we've made a building made of waste. We can't waste our time in this building, so we will do something in this building. And what is better than cooking for people and bringing people together over food and drink? And but then he kind of took it to the next level and kept taking it to the next level with this idea. And it was like, well, 
we're going to build a building, we've got to make it as productive as possible. So he then designed this building, pre-erecting it, to grow food. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that was his sort of um, heritage uh, to grow food, yeah. to grow nature. Um, and so turned this building or designed it to grow food. Um, and he always talks about exactly how much he grew at that time in those six weeks because it was a pop-up. And he, yeah, it's just like, imagine the rooftop just like being a garden and these old rusty um, uh, containers with cucumbers hanging over the edge and tomatoes and aubergines and there was a beehive and it was just like nature in this incredible spot in Sydney. Um, and then you, you, there's thousands of these terracotta pots um, kind of symmetrically laid out around the kind of edges of the building with wild strawberries growing from it nice. and it was just unbelievable and there was this artist called um, David Bromley who's actually from from the north of England and made his way over to, 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 to Australia and David Bromley is just an amazing artist that kind of decorated the whole building it was just breathtaking it sounds um, like you're describing an old kind of apocalyptic event where yeah. somebody's just appeared back after 50 years of nature yeah. just letting it do its thing yeah, yeah. and it's just gone in that sounds amazing it's a bit like as if there was some sort of like creative um, uh, like Mad Max kind of dystopian but like yeah this kind of oasis of a creative I don't know it was just it was uh, yeah it was I don't know, just a breathtaking building and this guy was just this, ch you know, childlike thinker and I and him got chatting and we talked about St. John, which is where I um, worked before I kind of went to Australia and he, um, yeah, we just had this conversation and it was very sort of, you know, surreal. I was in Australia, which, you know, is itself quite a novelty and especially there and meeting all these kind of uh, amazing artists and um, people. And um, yeah, and then we just started talking about waste. And he said to me, um, do you think you could have a restaurant that doesn't have a bin? Mm. And that was, you know, one of the most kind of like thought provoking, profound <laughs> <laughs> questions of my life. Like to not, not have a bin like, as a chef eight years ago. To, to conceptualise that was just like, it just spun me out. I was yeah. like, I have no idea what you mean. Um, I don't know what, why would you do that? Like, you know, I didn't it's even a bit know. on every section. Yeah. Stop making me think. Yeah. You just, I just wouldn't know at firstly why, you know, you would even think that. Obviously, I could, I figured it out quite quickly. <laughs> that's a bit of waste. It's bad. That's yeah. as, as kind of, um, yeah, that's as much as I knew at that time. Um, waste is bad. <laughs> not sure why. Um, I didn't even know what I remember him saying the word sustainability, and I didn't know what it meant. Mm. Genuinely, just yeah. like, what does sustainability mean? Because <laughs> um, it just wasn't talked about in kitchens. Sure. At all. And now, do you think, to me, it's like a, a word that gets overused without any real. Yeah, there's, there's no support, backing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. No, nothing behind it, is yeah. there? And it's like, what do you mean? I mean, you know. I think even with fish, fish particularly, because we really shouldn't be fishing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No. Um, so there is no sustainable fish, and stop bullshitting me. Do you know what I mean? Let's say this has less of an impact, but it's yeah. not sustainable. It's, it's coming up with the ideas behind it, and that, like we did, uh, I did a talk for the National Chef of the Year last year, mm. and it was supposed to have been about sustainability. And you know, Chantal Nicholson was there, and Alex Hall from Unilever Foods was there. You know, and you, you've got these people that are talking about these really serious sort of bits and pieces about food and how there used to be like 14,000 different types of rice and now we're down to like eight or something mm. like that that we yeah. actually grow and sell. And I, I obviously I started talking about the sustainability of, of chefs because it wasn't something that we, you know, as a commodity, we didn't really talk about looking after yeah. people and that kind of thing. Mm. But it's, it's very much the same as, as what you're saying about fish. You know, we've it's a word that's just thrown around yeah. for everything no and the sustainability it's of rice word, and fish of this, but we're not actually using it and backing it up with any action no, whatsoever. No. It's just because it's, it's still, I don't know, it's still, are we still guided by money and <laughs> yes. consumers and yeah. this is what people want so we have to keep yeah. trying? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, for me, um, it was... 
I was just so attracted to this idea of this, you know, whatever the hell was going on, this this person doing this creative thing. I was just like, whatever this is, I'm in. <laughs> you know, if, if it's sustainability, fine. I'll learn what that means later. I'm in. And then just genuinely applied myself 100% every single day to this idea ever since. Um, yeah. And I've never sort of looked back. And it, the more I've kind of... Um, burrowed deeper and deeper into the the idea i've sort of like taken it as, as my own um yoast um is still in melbourne we're still very good friends we speak um certainly every month now um and um but it was me that kind of carried this idea yeah. of a zero waste restaurant um but never going back to the original point never have i lost sight of what i realized in those sort of formative days was that you know you turn something that needs to happen into an attractive thing and then that's where you know change can occur if it's if it's if it feels like like this um yeah this sort of dogmatic kind of clipboard situation where you're like you need to do this and fear-mongering like no one's going to listen no one's going to care and that was never going to be the way I want to approach this business. I need to make it attractive. I need to make it exciting. I need to, you know, express it in a beautiful way. Because um, I believe that then people will um, will, will want to come for, yeah. you know, for, for one. And two, you know, start to think differently about what sustainability can be. And, um, you know, waste is a difficult one. Because waste is the least attractive thing you can possibly imagine. Mm. It's been a kind of too two-sided sword with silo it's like we get loads of press because we're doing something that no one's ever done before but then it's got the word waste attached to it and that is the least attractive thing (laughs) when thinking about going for dinner yeah of course you know and it it has been um harder to um not get press press is fine but like getting people through the door uh, certainly in Brighton, was a lot harder. There would be people that would come out of just sheer intrigue. They would be like, this is a fascinating conceptual thing, and you get, you know, curious people like us going to Silo. But then the sort of critical mass that we need to yeah. make restaurants sustainable financially, that was a harder market to breach because, again, they weren't questioning what waste was. Yeah. To them, waste is just like, well, let's put it in the bin. Like, it's yeah. not that's the worst thing like yeah yeah so so you know it's been it's been challenging but yeah to, to is that why you transitioned from brighton up to well, no it's it's just this constant evolution um i mean the reason i went to brighton is because i couldn't afford london <laughs> yeah <laughs> i come back from australia and you know I'd, I'd, you know cut my teeth in st john and east london basically and east london was home to me you know i'm from um like South Yorkshire and North Nottinghamshire. Um, but that never felt like home. You know, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that um, maybe think differently, find home in London, yeah. find sort of solitude here. Um, mm-hmm. And I certainly did. And uh, always wanted, when I was in Australia, to open Silo in East London, but just couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> expensive city. Yes. And I was a 26-year-old, you know guy prophesizing about the future of you know food and zero waste and pre-industrial food systems it's quite difficult to get a two hundred thousand pound loan yeah Uh um and so ended up finding a space in brighton that was you know minimal minimal you know really low uh setup costs uh set up the restaurant on thirty thousand pounds which is you know (laughs) Yeah, nothing, nothing <laughs> and just made it happen made it happen and just like kind of clawed my way through you know yeah yeah mud and hedges and kind of found uh, a way to make it work uh, against all odds and sort of made it work and yeah that's what we sort of document in the book we were saying like exposing the reality of what it's taken to get to where we are now it's it's been pretty brutal um <clears throat> some pretty dark times sure. <laughs> literally um uh yeah to get to where we are now um but yeah brighton was yeah, i love brighton i think it's an amazing city um yeah. 
but I always always knew that the kind of end goal was was East London and yeah we had a five year lease so it kind of nicely rounded off and I didn't want to own two uh, two restaurants no owning, owning <laughs> more than one restaurant is fucking scary um, and yeah and when it's a zero waste restaurant with a very sort of fragile supply chain and you know yeah, I don't want to run two restaurants. No. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, moved the whole thing, moved the team, moved some of the equipment, um, like the flour mill and the important sure. bits, and uh, yeah, sort of yeah, opened uh, well five months before lockdown. Yeah, well, like I said, it, it was the, it was the last meal I had before mm. lockdown. It was fantastic, oh, good. and it seemed that. Um, it was such an obvious place for you to go Hackney Wick. It just yeah. it, it says all the right things. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's a bit more affordable than other parts, mm. but uh, I mean, we're in Hackney here. It's only like ten minutes up the road, but yeah. just such an exciting place. And it reminds me of like the way this area was like ten years ago. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have just uh, just over the road. We've we've opened a, a little courtyard. Um, just to do something during lockdown, and there's some space and. You know, I can put some of my old chefs in there and you know, give them jobs Amazing. for a bit. So, yeah, we'll only be over summer. But it reminds me of the old days of Hackney and what yeah, Hackney yeah, used yeah. to be like. Yeah. And I even think, you know, you, you're talking about East London. It's just, I was always inspired by, I spent a bunch of time out in Copenhagen. And um, East London feels like Copenhagen to me. Do you know what I mean? It's got that, it's like a city within a city. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily go anywhere else in London anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, there's enough going it's, on. It's definitely completely bar. different here to, to anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? And I've found, you know, obviously coming up and seeing you a lot, that there, there's so much going on and there is so much community which is, I mean, we mm. touched on it earlier, but there is so much community here. And it's strengthened now. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, yeah, good. Like, say the next step for yourself, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a, a spot on Hackney Road that we were looking at. Um, and you know when you you find this amazing thing, whether you're looking for, mm. a, I don't know, a bike or a car or, a, or just a thing, and a restaurant space, I was just like, just like, this has to be the one, this has to be the one, and it didn't work out just for investor reasons um and i remember thinking oh that's it that's you know and then in hindsight this space we have in hackney wick is just like 10 times better than that space was it's like for me it's the dream spot in hackney wick you know we're sort of first floor looking over the canal and um this sort of uh urban vista which is the olympic park and you know the stadiums and stuff and um and yeah, it's just spacious and it's above Crate Brewery, really, yeah. really great guys. And um, a kombucha brewery called Jar Kombucha. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great spot. Um, yeah, thrilled to be there. So I mean, this podcast will probably go out in September by that point, but um, you will be opening in three yeah, weeks yeah. as a wine bar. Yeah, well, <laughs> how, well in September, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go back into, because of the times, um, I think you know the kind of closest statistics I've seen to how much people are trading is that they're trading like f- uh, forty to fifty-five percent of what they were pre-lockdown. Yeah, which is you know it's terrible. Like, it's not sustainable. Um, it depends on what you do and how you adapt. Yeah. But um, for us to have the full kind of silo system, it would lose money at fifty percent capacity. It would definitely lose money. Um, so yeah, we're having moving back into this with um, a kind of a simpler offering with mm-hmm. a wine bar um, is what we're going to do in three or four weeks from now. Um, but then, as soon as the industry is back, well, that's a difficult question. Where it's back to yeah. normal, but <laughs> <laughs> as soon as it's sort of back to normal, sure. we will open the full restaurant because of the way zero waste works in silo is um, we have a very direct supply chain with a whole load of farmers and logistically speaking to kind of wake silo up is, 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 is huge. It's like yeah. raising the Titanic. Um, so yeah, I don't want to rush back into no. that. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have to start with waste produce or would you just start with no. like fresh produce coming in and, and then exactly. use the waste into that? Yeah, no it's, no, it's a great question and it is almost exactly the opposite of what people think it is. Sure. So we don't uh, waste things, but we'd never use waste right. unless it's for design. 
So there's two sides of silo. One is um, a kind of prevention of waste, and that's predominantly the food system. Um, So no food is wasted, um, but the food is as premium as food gets. You know, we are using the best vegetables, we are using the best meats. um, everything is as premium as it gets. It's more premium yep. than a typical restaurant because we're forced to go direct, and direct means it's fresher. It's coming yep. from the soil, you know, one day, and it's on the plate the same day, you know, or maybe within twenty four hours. Um, and so, yeah, the food is more premium than a, than a non zero waste restaurant. Sure. So yeah, but then we do play on the sort of. Um, upcycling of waste in the 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 sort of aesthetics of the actual physical restaurant so all the dining rooms made out of waste materials okay but yeah in the kitchen there's there's just um we're quite sort of uh, resourceful and everything becomes something um i think it's a way that you know i believe a lot of restaurants particularly old school restaurants it used to be like that that you know you get things in even the peelings are for something yeah there's always something trim Mm. that goes into something uh and i think that a lot of restaurants had got too comfortable with having things maybe butchered on site you know i don't want to necessarily say pre-portioned for um vegetables but definitely with meats and fish it was already pre-done so Mm. you know you don't use the waste there Vegetables, yeah, any peelings of vegetables just go into stock. And to me, this is or like lazy. I mean, what can you do? Do you yeah, know? Yeah. But this is, I'm talking There's about di- dehydrators. Yeah, that's true. Before yeah. dehydrator, at least something a dehydrator is giving it life as a powder or, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, something yeah. for different, a stock later on. A different textures like and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I, for a long time, people got really lazy with things, mm-hmm. I, I think. And yeah, now absolutely. it's good that, you know, you're part of that. The, the, the movement that's just giving people even if they just take one thing from that it's just one thing where they're just starting to think a little bit more because that will gravitate into something else right yeah yeah no and you, yeah you, you talk about how restaurants and chefs have progressed into this sort of almost homogenous cooking you know everything's mm. pre-done pre-portioned and they're kind of assembly chefs more than chefs yeah mm-hmm. depends on where, where you see what what is a chef where's the line do you start mm baking your own bread or is that for a baker or do you start butchering your animal because that's a butcher you know it's like how much should a chef do or not do but yeah it got to an extreme where you know three michelin star restaurants that would have been like lamb cutlets come in already you know literally ready to go in a pan yeah and that's what they would do and um that is for me uh that is uh, industrialism um, pouring over into like cult- like cultures, as yeah. in like uh, chef culture. You know, it's industrialism is um, a systematic efficiency um, uh, where kind of you create variables to be so consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's efficient, and it is efficient. That's the annoying thing about all of industrialism is it's so efficient. Um, and it, it then leads to making more money, you know, yeah. when you have that kind of ultimate consistency that it gives you, mm. you have, you know, um, a predictable, um, financial model, um, and, and it works and it's consistent and it reduces stress. However, what industrialism is in both literal terms and cultural terms is incredibly wasteful like it is the reason waste exists literally um you know you think about those you know homogenous kind of lamb cutlets or everything always being the same nature doesn't grow things in that kind of in square shapes you know um and so we just don't necessarily see the waste um you know, from these systems because it's done behind closed doors sure. and um, and it also, it breeds a kind of um, a reliance on, on <clears throat> the way things are, like with um, the way, I don't know, life is in urban, urban environments and cities, you know, where young families are growing up not knowing what nature is and not seeing nature, not feeling yeah. and being exposed to nature. They go to, you know, I don't know, um, Tesco Express and everything's kind of in square shapes, you know, and there is that sort of thing and there's that um, belief that, you know, um, this is this is what life is and this is definitely not life. This is life for a very, very small fraction of, of 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The history of, of, of humans. Um, and what the kind of the darker side of this industrialism is um, that um, it kind of it, it, it kind of uh, conditions us to have these unnatural expectations and um, you know um, we expect and uh, food to be this cheap you know industrialism basically draws yep. the price down of food of so 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 drastically and it's not it's not realistic um, and so we, we eat this processed dead food um, because that's what happens is that they process food and I'm yeah. sure you know uh, loads about this but um, you know by processing food it then makes it um, have a very very long shelf life uh, mm-hmm. which makes it uh, highly profitable um, but that processing basically uh, eliminates the, the bacteria the yep. nature within the food so it's you know, it's it's there's very little that's good for our bodies yeah, yeah. within that processed food, and and so it makes it cheap for us and profitable for them. Um, but then we're obviously kind of not poisoning is too strong a word, but we're not doing well. well we I don't know. I think you, you're pretty. I think poisoning's a, a pretty good word, really, mm. when you when you think about it, because when you you take away the bacteria in something that's good for you through a processing, you know, by pasteurizing everything and, and adding stuff to it that wasn't there before, mm. then you are essentially poisoning the environment. And that's, that's it's what you've, you know, what you've said is that with that industrialization is that um, we've, you know, we've ruined, severely ruined e- ecosystems by speeding up the process for people, by creating that middleman and creating that laziness yeah. for, for money. Mm. And we've done mm. that. And... There's very little that can that can be done now to go back on all yeah. of that damage that's there. Mm. So poison, I think, I think that's pretty safe. Well, I think it's <laughs> kind of safe. Safety, you know, uh, shall I go here? Go on, do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, you know, look, COVID is one of those things that we're looking for the cure. We're constantly looking for the cure, but and that I've been talking about. You know, what about the prevention? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Let's eat the yeah, right things. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Let's consider what we're putting into our bodies. If there is a nasty virus going around. Then now's the time to start thinking about our health, what we put into our body, what we're consuming. Mm. And, you know, when you go on that journey as well, you realize that look, a loaf of bread that people consider normal bread from a shop, I think I've said this before actually, <laughs> said it many times, but, you know, 15 ingredients on one yeah, of these branded breads. Yeah. And, you know, you can make bread with three ingredients. Do you, just, do you see what I mean? And, um, and, uh, that is the way I start looking at everything that you start seeing in supermarkets, that there's all these ingredients that you don't know what the fuck they are. Mm. It's so far from what we have slowly evolved into having. Mm. And therefore, it, that we're not getting the nutrients we need. But we're also putting these body, uh, things that are kind of alien to our bodies. Yeah. Now, if people are suffering with COVID, they said, well, you know, it's, it's underlying health problems. That was the first thing that came out. To me, I start seeing that as an underlying health problem. Because you can be the fittest person in the world, but if you're not consuming what our bodies have evolved to yeah. take on, exactly. do you know what I mean? Yeah. A loaf of bread like that is a poison. Yeah. It's, an, it's, an, uh, you know, it's a health problem as far as I'm concerned. Mm. 
doesn't stop me buying it occasionally. You know, if I want a really crappy, and again, I've said this, it's, but I, you know, I, I always say, look, I'm on a journey, and it's a way of saying that I'm, I strive to be better every day. But then there are just days where you know, I want to reminisce yeah, on a, 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 sure. it's a sandwich, like a crappy corned beef sandwich, or you know, a, a peanut butter sandwich that I had as a kid, and mm. I. So I need that little bit of nostalgia every now and then. I don't know I've said this, yeah, but it's just, yeah. it's a way of saying, look, you know, you, we can try and lead from the front. We can try and make things good, but it's not like, you know, we're, none of us are perfect. And every now and then we need to yeah, have a beer. We need to you know, but there have are a big blow out on meat changes, or huh? there? there are the appropriate changes, like, yeah. and which, which, I mean, it goes straight back into all of the things that you've done that you've showcased over the last eight years because it's, um, it's a mindset that, Yes, a lot of restaurants will talk about sustainability and not wasting things as, as much as they can, try and use the whole animal, nose to tail, like all of that kind of thing. But actually, it's um, it's very subtle in the way that you're you are educating people in mm -hmm. the right way to do something different. Mm -hmm. And it's I that's guess, a leading from the front thing, though, isn't it? Because like yeah, you can be sanctimonious about saying you will do it? this, you will do that. Mm -hmm. But when you start doing it, make a little bit of a deal about it, you know, so, so people know that you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So you do that, and then people start getting curious, what's going on over there? I did. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it worked for me. I was, I was saying to you before, like, I had um, the head chef that I had four years ago introduced me to a lot of Dan Barber's work, and then, yeah. you know, the Wasted event happened in Selfridges, and, and we were absolutely amazed by it, and then all of a sudden silo and brighton's there and it's like that serendipitous yeah. moment of learning mm. you know you're introduced to all of these things and you go down there and i'm like this is just absolutely insane two of the best meals that i'd had in years were thought-provoking mm. and from a mindset that i'd never even considered yeah, before yeah, i haven't sure. been taught to consider that yeah, it wasn't yeah. a thing mm. and we only uh, at the beacon when i was there we started um, considering these things because of the land that was available to us. Yeah, there yeah. was 17 acres of land, there was free lakes, we were growing things, we had chickens, mm. you know, and we started looking at, well, this, all of this, this goes to the chickens now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go in the bin ever. Yeah. And anything that we can do with that afters, maybe we look at an industrial size thing mm. that we can sort of break it down so more stuff can go onto the land so they can have pigs and things. You know, a real yeah. journey was crafted yeah, out of simply eating at silo and, and eating at the wasted event from That's two great. people that were being innovative and mm. different and yeah. educational. Yeah, um, when um, uh, like eight years ago, this all sort of started this sort of penny drop moment. And I talk about this guy Yost, and he was just like, "Can you not have a bin?" And that's you know um, what I was attempting to do, and I was making shortbread, and I remember. It was like a Monday night, and uh, it was we started in a little cafe. This was after the building that I described to you was called the Greenhouse, and that was in Sydney, and that was like a pop up. Mm -hmm. um, but then the next year in 2012, we did Silo as like a cafe concept. And um, yeah, when I was like in one of the first days of, of, of that, I was just in, in on a Monday night on my own, kind of fiddling around with all things I didn't know how to do. Again, we were trying not to have a bin. So to not have a bin, we were like, okay, we need to, you know, all yogurt comes in plastic, so we need to make yogurt, uh, but all milk comes in plastic if we want to make the yogurt. So like, how do we? So we ended up getting the milk in a stainless steel pail directly from the farmer because it was going direct. They were willing to, you know, change yep. the system. Um, so we got the milk in, and I was like, right, how the hell do you make yogurt? <laughs> no idea. And like, likewise with creme fraiche. And I was like, how do you make creme fraiche? Uh, cream and learning that and getting that in a pail and then um we were like flour <laughs> we have whole grain how do you mill flour um it was and, and then it was like we need butter and this is what was happening i was making shortbread and i was like i need butter i need flour and some sugar and so i was like right how do you mill flour like figuring out you know how to mill flour and one of these wooden things that this guy yost had had gifted me knowing that i would have to mill flour um, so I started milling flour and it was all very surreal and, um, and then churning butter and I, I don't know if you, you remember the first time I ever churned butter but it can be quite messy yep. Um, <laughs> yep. yeah. I want to say you use cling film but <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, 
And so I spent like three hours churning butter and making uh, milling flour to make shortbread. And I'd worked at St. John and was on pastry for a year, so I had made shortbread thousands of times. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was just like, it would take me 20 minutes from start to finish to make shortbread. And um, here I was like hours in and I'd still not got butter and flour. Right, sure. <laughs> and it was just such a yeah unique um, experience and... Um, eventually I'd had I'd created shortbread eventually and it was completely different it was completely different yeah. and I remember thinking this I've never ever seen shortbread like this and anyway, I eventually ate it and it was a real epiphany this shortbread was unbelievable it was by far the greatest shortbread I've ever eaten and made every other shortbread just completely insignificant. As a hedonistic foodie, mm. Why? how could I ever, knowing what I now know, go back to that thing, yeah. that processed thing, you know, flour is a, um, uh, is wheat, um, but has been processed, again, through industrial measures, to just be this kind of um, commodity, this thing that doesn't have flavour, um, and no nutrition. Um, and so we were milling whole biodynamic wheat and keeping it whole and then putting it into a shortbread. And the flavor of it was just, you know, mm-hmm. um, game changing. And I was just like sat there. I think I've been drinking a bit of wine as well. Um, <laughs> make the process smoother. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was just sat there thinking this is... You know, I've worked in some some pretty good restaurants in my life, and I was just like, it really like dawned on me that this was the future of food. You know, it's this pre-industrial food system. Mm. You know, it's going back before um, food was pre-pre-processed because this is where the best flavor is, and mm. we've forgotten that. We've forgotten what food tasted like two hundred years ago because we weren't there. Yep. You know, but that's what it did taste like, and it tastes better. And I was like. You know, I feel like I've just laid a golden egg. Oh my god, this is this is amazing! Like I found like flavor in a place that I didn't know it existed, and and then I was like, I was trying to not have a bin, and that was why I'm here, <laughs> and now I've discovered this thing, this treasure sure. that I didn't know was there, and now I was like, this is definitely the future of food. This is definitely it, and you know that was the sort of penny drop moment, was that zero waste goes hand in hand with um an amazing end product yep. you know the the flavors the dishes that you had that night hopefully were if one if anything very true to them the, the the ingredient themselves yeah, yeah you know it was like a, a, a it's like a jacked up version of what that thing is mm. you know like the potatoes i remember doing a potato and koji dish yeah and, and smoked potatoes kind of um, you know, boiled, peeled, brined, smoked. It's just a potato, but yeah. it's like a lot of love goes into that potato. And then we make koji from buckwheat, and it's just buckwheat with some spores growing on it. Mm. And so it's like a, a again a jacked up version of um, buckwheat. Yeah. And then it's just some homemade butter, and we use a, a garum, which is made from um, buttermilk. Um, which is a byproduct of uh, butter. We turn yeah. that into a garum. That then seasons. It's all very circular and interconnected. Yeah. And that dish, you know, it's just potatoes, buckwheat, and butter essentially. Sure. And but made with the buttermilk and the butter, and it's all very circular. And but yeah, it's it's so natural. It's so pure. But then approached with a little bit of um, uh, you know uh, attention to detail. And uh, it's the truest expression of itself. And yep. that, for me, is exciting about kind of yep. modern gastronomy. How do you, I mean, now you put those processes in place. I mean, in terms of, I guess, for staffing and, you know, how you make it affordable for yourself. Because, you know, you say making shortbread was once a 20-minute job and now yeah, X yeah, amount. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say yeah, what you've got yeah, it down yeah. to now. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that comes at a cost. Do you see what sure. I mean? And yeah, what yeah. I will say is that, you know, as much as I'm against, like, you know, buying in chops or something like that mm-hmm. every now and then, you have to. You, yeah, you yeah. don't want to get in the comfort zone of mm-hmm. expecting that all the time, but it is a little get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. if you've got a really good supplier, producer, that's Absolutely. sending it in. Yeah. You trust that they're going to be using kind mm-hmm. of all the waste up themselves, but yeah, it's like, yeah. listen, I need some 
lamb chops today. Yeah, a good thing to know actually is that if everybody came online to the same idea, and it, you yeah. know, you see this um, these diagrams in nature or a jungle where things live and die, and there's just this constant like yeah. feedback loops. Yeah. That's how silo operates, but its own ecosystem. If everybody operated in the same way, like for instance, the butcher had all the same values as you had, mm. and all the the fishmonger had all the same sourcing yeah. principles as you had, and everybody was interconnected in that philosophical approach, then we wouldn't need to worry. And the only reason I've sort of had to like take control of the whole system. It's a trust I, issue, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, no, it's just that no one else is, how, no one else is, um, we can't really integrate with anyone else. It's starting to now, yeah. you know, there's amazing uh, pasture for life and there's just so many like flourish produce. Yeah. So many supply chains now coming online that are direct and that aren't wasting, you know, as part of their systems it is becoming, you know, the right, a very ethical thing to do to let that person process that food for you. Yeah. It makes sense in that scenario. So, you know, it is um, something that we do. Um, we do, we have done at least every single thing from scratch ourselves, but that's not to say that it's not ethical to let, you know, other people process food for you. Um, yeah, especially in the, the kind of emerging world, mm. which is a very exciting place i think and that's me my most optimistic <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing though isn't it like you know you set the standard that people start looking to mm. and it, i know it's a long process but you know there'll be chefs there'll be restaurants that say what's going on over here how can we be sustainable zero waste mm. that kind yeah. of and then you know the restaurants start doing it there's a movement then supermarkets <laughs> they, they, the they, they need to go uh, they'll, <laughs> they'll start go. looking and um they will start improving certain areas, and I believe there's great people working in that mm. system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the people, yeah. those people want change as well. So uh, it, I know how slow it is. I know how slow it is to get things done in a restaurant, let alone the whole kind of system. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you think that that's, um, that that's predominantly in, in our industry as well? Like if, 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 let's say, for example, everybody like you say, was able to philosophically get onto that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from a consumer point of view, everybody knew that in order for them to get the shortbread that was amazing, it was going to take three and a half, four hours for mm -hmm. that to happen because yeah. one person's doing this, doing this, doing this. And the middleman has disappeared. Do you think that it would just slow everybody back down and everybody would just comfortably on that page? Because yeah, our absolutely. industry is very yeah. much like... Driven by people turning around and saying, but I can get it in Tesco's for half the price or I can yeah, yeah, do yeah. it over here for less time mm. and all of mm. this kind of crap. And forgetting the craft from every area that comes in. Chefs are very holistic. They, you know, they learn the butchery, they learn the fishmonger, they learn all of these things. But actually, people forget that that guy over there is doing a, a he's got a role. That's yeah, a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you know, again, if this, and I don't, I'm not holding my breath, if that <laughs> was the way of the world, then yeah, you'd definitely see a lot slower pace in life. You'd see, you know, let's not talk about money, but like, mm. you definitely see a lot more, I believe, um, mental well-being. Yeah. I think that would be... But let's be honest, I mean, there are still communities in the world that have these values and um, you know that, yeah. that's, um, we call them undeveloped countries but they're the ones that have yeah. kind of stayed true to what I think life is about sometimes I think you would see a lot of um, if you were to compare you know communities in London versus some um, yeah some Amazonian tribe mm. there would be a very different position of, of mental health yeah. um, in those different places and of course you know the less economically developed parts of the world suffer from much worse things yeah, of course, perhaps of course. than you know certain mental health issues however it does suggest that you know um the way of life that this urban way of life is quite taxing on our, our mental health mm. and getting worse right it, yeah yeah how does it feel i mean you know we go there in terms of uh, mental health being uh, a thing that you know we, we started talking about uh, three and a half years ago because we felt that there was like one in four people in the UK with a mental health illness mm. and one in two people in hospitality with a mental health illness mm. or would suffer a mental health illness. Yeah. Um, you know, you're doing something that hopefully 
as you said, you, you know, the ideology is that we, we slow everything down, we have mm. better mental health for it, but surely <laughs> the, 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 the journey you're on must be pretty taxing for your own oh, sanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've been on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely been on the edge. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely endured an unnatural amount of pressure mm. mentally through, yeah, through silo, and that's yeah. not good, but I don't know, maybe I've got... Um, um, delusions of grandeur, but I believe that I have to do this thing for the kind yeah. of I will make you know the world a little bit better if I'm successful in this mission, and I definitely put myself, um, yeah, uh, under a, an enormous, unnatural amount of, of pressure, and I've definitely been on the edge. Um, well, but you know, society, uh, the world needs people like yourself to do this. So, you know, if it wasn't yeah. you, it'd be someone else, but there would be very few people actually making this happen mm. um and i guess you know it's it's a huge sacrifice that you're making again yeah. you know your own yeah. sanity it's mm. like when do you stop because mm. i don't think it's something that you can ever stop at no and it's all too easy to say right that's enough i'm mm. I'm, I'm going back to a normal lifestyle like everyone else and it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah yeah do you allow yourself well-being time um, have, have you got a thing if i was going to reveal i'm addicted to progress Yep. I'm addicted to um, if I'm if I'm stagnant, I I feel like not good. I sure. feel not mm. good. I have to like move forward all the time, and I think you know I just live on adrenaline and progress, and uh, yeah, just uh, have to be always moving forward, and that's quite worrying. It's quite worrying. I struggle to read a book. I can't read a book. As but also because yeah. I'm dyslexic, but no, no, <laughs> it's the, the, the patience to read a book that's not unless that book was um, uh, significantly developing my yeah, knowledge yeah. of something, which will then benefit my career or you know. Sure. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely not healthy. I can imagine, but and uh, yeah, are there any other well-being things that you throw into yourself? What's your diet like? I mean, is pretty good? Pretty good. Um, I mean, yeah, like silo, um, the food that's channeling through silo is as good as it gets, um, yeah. especially when you consider it's like you know, whole everything's whole, um, everything's fermented and whole, so it's as good as a diet gets. It's like very little meat, um, lots of vegetables, lots of whole food, yep. freshly processed. Yeah you know nutrient dense from from nutrient dense soils etc so it's as good as it gets again making the time to sit and enjoy it is slightly different yeah um yeah and but it's surely important i mean you know if i i, I would have thought mm -hmm. um again we, we're trying to really encourage people to eat better and consume yeah. better mm -hmm. and rest the way where you can and yeah. you know actually treat yourselves like athletes because you know athletes have regimes and diets yeah. and stuff to get through a, a football game or you know a, a, a whatever kind of mm. sporting event it happens to be yeah. well, we do like 14 15 16 hour services sometimes you know what i mean yeah why are we not looking after ourselves in that way so we've definitely been encouraging over the last few weeks um you know what you put into yourself is you know what you're going to get out ultimately yeah. you're changing the world here you're changing things with yeah. like <laughs> obviously high stress for yourself mm. but you know the importance of eating and uh, consuming what you're, you're putting out there has to be... Yeah, one of my biggest, uh, if I have uh, fear, um, my, one of my biggest concerns about what I'm doing, uh, probably shouldn't be saying this, <laughs> <laughs> is how, you know, in the kitchen, um, like, so you, you, you sort of um, were almost asking... Um, how do I make silo make sense financially? You know, mm -hmm. if, if butter takes that long to churn, yeah, yeah. if you're making shortbread and it's taking you four hours, how does that make sense? Obviously, that was eight years ago, and there's I'm obsessed with efficiency. Actually, I'm obsessed, mm -hmm. even to the point where I walk around the kitchen and there's this running joke that I've got this like efficiency radar as if it was like some like goggles, and I can just <laughs> see red, and red means inefficient, inefficient, and yeah. I just can. It's like some, yeah, I don't know how I see it, like body language and, you know, gestures. And I know if something is being efficient or not. And then you can just see things that are just, that's that's making sense. Yeah. This is not making sense. And I'm obsessed with efficiency and I've had to be for survival. And, um, you know, uh, it, you know, with, with like 
maybe I'll start with like labour costs. You know, making that making everything from scratch has to go up that labour cost. Mm. Um, but what you um, yeah, I always think about it as like dials. You know, every part of your business is like dials, dialing something up or down, or the cost is going up and down. Um, labour cost goes up, and so you have to to balance it by turning something else down, and like um, ingredient costs. Um, even though the we're getting the best produce ever, when you cut that middleman out, the cost of food goes down because that middleman essentially takes this sort of the great the greatest cut because yeah. sort of he pulls the levers. Um, but when you go outside of that, the cost of food comes down. When you buy in bulk, the cost of food comes down. When you buy whole wheat rather than flour, the cost goes down, um, depending on the scale of production. And that's another key thing about um, efficiency is production, uh, intelligent production costs. So if we're going to churn butter, I love aged butter, so we churn butter uh, once a week and then have, we age it for two weeks and then we just have this kind of yep. uh, leapfrog in this rotation um, and it's done in a, in a big butter churner where we can just do a lot at once and so it's like designing the system around what you know is the efficient, the uh, scalable efficiency and so there are all these ways of kind of you know balancing making silo make sense financially and mm. it does it took a long time but it now makes sense um financially but to digress to the concern of mine <laughs> is that the biggest most taxing thing on on not just me but my whole team is the inconsistency um so when you have these supply chains and things are always different the menu's always changing yeah it's, it's, and like, I do have high standards. I have particularly high standards. We do a dish tasting every single day at 5.30. Every single dish is tasted. Um, and the whole team will stand around and we'll, we'll you know, and it's, 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 it's an amazing thing that I didn't do in Brian, but now do. And now every day, like, I change so much based on that, like, tasting. And it's amazing, like, how something might look identical to the last day, which it was amazing the last day. Mm -hmm. But this day, it's not amazing. And you're like, what went wrong? And it's just yeah. because of this, this food system, the dishes themselves are very fragile. You know, we've got all of this food, which is living. It's living food. And it's more so susceptible to change. Yep. And you just have to be super, super on it all the time. It is so taxing like, yeah. on your mental health. You know, my moods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, they, my mood moves. Um, do your staff, I mean, do, do they know it's like, a, a, they understand that to have this kind of great figure that's leading the way, but is also like a fucking madman. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like well, people know how to deal with you in terms of like, this yeah, is chef, this yeah, is... Yeah, some people better than others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have never, in Silo London, I've never raised my voice. It's something which, you know, I had um, a lot of abuse in kitchens, as mm. a lot of chefs have in my uh, younger years, and just vowed that I would never lead a kitchen where there was, you know, mental abuse or physical abuse, which yeah. is also very common. Um, and I'd never do that. So in silo now, I would never, like, no matter how stressed or, like, angry or upset or whatever I am, I'm just, like, holding it in like this. <laughs> and, but you can, people can, people can feel that energy. Yeah. And that's hard. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 I, I don't have the, 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 the sort of solution for that. For, you know, that food system, no matter how efficient we make it, it's just, it's a stressful, it's a stressful environment. Um, mm. And the, you know, in, in a perfect world, we would charge the real cost, you know, if we were to like mark up food yeah. to what it really costs and yeah. to pay the farmer as well as they should be paid uh, to pay the chefs and the whole team of staff yeah. as much as they should be paid. The menu would be like 150 quid. Yeah, really. It's it's, and I think this is not just silo. I think almost all restaurants. Mm -hmm. I think again, going back to this thing, industrialism creates a naturally low cost food. So as a restaurateur, people will come and be like, "I'm not spending 80 quid or, or whatever mm -hmm. you know 
and so like it's pushing our margins down and down and down and down and then you get this sort of completely unhealthy unsustainable lifestyle for chefs mm-hmm. because there's no there's so little money you can't have a, a much more generously sized team to lower the hours you can't afford no. that and the cost is just the, the margins are just so thin and fragile that it then just puts so much pressure and like obviously post corona uh, world um, so post lockdown the no shows and it's just it's getting pretty yeah. scary with like but how it, it, we were talking about again yesterday but it's it's, it's because everyone's uh, had to change a few things like you know your Tom Kerridge's your Paul Ainsworth's they've probably not put the usual systems in place that they would have before yeah. and now they're recognising what unfortunately a lot of us Every smaller restaurant. restaurants have been going <laughs> yeah. through for a long time do you know yeah. what I mean but we can fix it mm. yeah 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 Absolutely. Cool. Doug. Well, mate, we are... <laughs> <laughs> Bang on an hour? Bang on an hour. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> We're remarkable at this at the moment. We're absolutely remarkable. But well, I mean, so I, I, um, I'm actually a little obsessed <laughs> with your knowledge. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I felt like I, it's always the thing where you just kind of go off on too many tangents and like... Um, but it's a belief and it resonates. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm. If there's one thing I'm sure of is that what I'm doing is the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, you know, from myself, and you know, I'm, t- I'm inspired to be a better chef, like I say, to be a better person. Uh, I thank you from you know the, the influence that you've given me, um, and I'm sure that you know there'll be a lot of people listening that will mm. say exactly the same thing. That what the world needs you, the restaurant industry needs you, and um, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for uh, having some questionable <laughs> mental health days, um, yeah. in, in you know for the sake of a, a, an amazing um, always honesty thing. Absolutely yeah. honesty. <laughs> thanks, Doug. Yeah, Pleasure. thanks, thanks man. guys. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.